Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sustained. Thomas and Lucas here. In this episode, we wanted to pause and take the time to create a space where we can discuss the pain and the hurt that has gripped our nation in the wake of George Floyd's murder. We as a team feel called to use our platform, however small it may be, to create a space at the table to discuss the systemic racism and violence faced by the Black community and people of color since this country's inception. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Tony McDade, Rashard Brooks, these are the names of those who were senselessly killed in the last few months, and the list continues. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, loved ones, and friends. There are many more stories and lives that were quietly cut short in the darkness of injustice. In confronting this pain, we commit to not just educating ourselves on the structures and organizing principles that perpetuate this system of oppression, but showing up for the Black community and amplifying Black voices. Yeah, Tom opened up really well with that. It's a challenging thing to face. And as just a couple white boys with a podcast, we're not necessarily the most well-equipped to confront the entire issue. But we're working to put together some informative episodes about just how far these issues go from research that we've been able to do about food systems. And it really is a deeply systemic issue, an insidious problem, and one that we'd like to share some of what we've learned and some of the resources we found as we had the privilege to educate ourselves on this issue as opposed to experiencing it. We want to share this with our audience, however we feel appropriate to, and speaking to areas of our own knowledge. Yeah, I mean, we obviously are only experts in our own experience, and we cannot speak to the the outrage and, and the hurt in the African-American community and, and experienced by people of, of color. But we can and we will be focusing on how we can best show up in these times. And part of that, it happens behind the scenes. A lot of the education that we are doing right now, a lot of the learning, the unlearning and the relearning will obviously not take place on this podcast, but we want to take this time, like Lucas has said, uh, to delve into something that we do know, and that is how food and race and culture in intersect, and particularly in our experiences, whether that be during my time living in Baltimore, whether that be Lucas's experience, you know, in, in New York and, and in Ohio and elsewhere. This is just something that we want to do. And we want to do this in a way that's inclusive of all voices and something that, you know, advances the conversation forward and creates a sense of raw honesty that welcomes those uncomfortable moments that sets people up focus on how they can be actively anti-racist, both in the world of food and outside. I mean, we can't compartmentalize these parts of our life. And for many, food is it's a large part of our lives. And if we wish to nip this at its bud, you know, that involves addressing racism wherever it manifests. And for us right now, that's looking at the food system. And, you know, boy, do we have a lot of work to do. And as we take the time to put together 
more information and find more stories to tell and to explore, we still think that the COVID crisis is relevant. So for this week, we're releasing our last interview. And then next week, we'll be starting to explore these topics. Once again, just taking time to have episodes and information that approaches this in an appropriate and honest way. Finally, before we get into the episode, we are going to be including links in the show notes for a couple different things that we feel reflect this show's content, subject matter, um, in the current issue, in the current situation. One is a database called adine.black, which is an online database of black owned restaurants in cities around the country. Please support them if you can. As for other things that you can do, there's plenty of information about places to donate. Marches are everywhere now. So do what you can. We stand with this movement. So with that said, today we welcome our guest, Lynn Trisna, farm manager at the St. Luke's Rodale Institute Organic Farm in Easton, Pennsylvania. Having received her BA in Urban Studies from the University of Pittsburgh, Lynn soon found herself chasing a new passion, one rooted in farming. In 2007, Lynn officially began her farming career in the Lehigh Valley and has worked on countless farms since. More recently, Lynn has played an instrumental role in launching the St. Luke's Rodale Organic Farm, a pioneering farm-to-hospital model that seeks to provide fresh produce to the St. Luke's Hospital campuses to be prepared for patients, staff, and other networks within the St. Luke's network. So without further ado, please enjoy our episode with Lynn Trisna. All right, Lynn, thanks so much for joining us. So over the course of the last few months, the COVID-19 pandemic has shown a focusing light on the many gaps within our nation's healthcare system. But long before this outbreak emerged, you and your colleagues at Rodale and the St. Luke's Hospital identified a need to advance preventative care by way of improving patient nutrition. Can you tell us a bit about the St. Luke's Rodale Organic Farm and how it came to be? Sure. So the St. Luke's Hospital Network purchased land that was previously farmland in the Lehigh Valley, which is where Anderson Campus is located. And there was some staff that I talked to the higher ups at St. Luke's mentioned how great it would be to continue the farm culture in the area and have their own farm because the hospitals and different institutions have had a history of having their own farms located on site. So St. Luke's Hospital Network, they're in the business of managing and running hospitals and not farming. So they reach out to the Rodale Institute, which is located about 40 minutes away and is considered like the birthplace of the organic farm movement. So they reach out to Rodale and said, hey, this is something we would like to do. Can we make it happen? And I think one reason why it's been very successful, it's, it's been, you know, Ed Norwaki, the president of St. Luke's Anderson Campus Hospital coming to the Royal Institute and saying, this is something we want. It's really a partnership between the two operations. And St. Luke's has really looked at the population and seen, you know, what preventative measures they can take to, to help improve the health of their community. So St. Luke's Hospital, they have a community health department. And so we work closely with them and offer CSA shares to employees and then we supply produce to all the um, kitchens in the hospital network as well. So 
you know, there's an educational component and there's also a component of wanting to feed really good food to the hospital network, both employees and patients as well. And as someone who so closely works with a local healthcare network, how have you been challenged to pivot in this time of extraordinary circumstances? So farmers are really good at adapting. We adapt to the weather constantly. So facing the pandemic, it was just another adaptation we had to make. So there was a lot of conversations about how the hospital was functioning. You know, the there was no visitors allowed at the hospital. So people weren't coming to eat food. So we were thinking about how that would affect our production. So on June 1st, the hospital is allowing visitors back on site. So it actually won't be affecting our production quite as much as we previously anticipated. But, you know, if people are working remotely, people are on furlough at the hospital, you know, that's going to affect the amount of food that the cafeterias are producing for customers. And then also our CSA, you know, so we might have fewer people sign up for the employee wellness CSA program because they have a, a loss of income or they're working from home. So we tried to anticipate and make some changes here and there to see what our production would look like amongst COVID. But one thing that has been very surprising and really inspiring is while working through a pandemic, St. Luke's has still paid attention to the farm and gotten us what we needed and made sure that what we had planned for the season as much as possible can happen, which has been really great. So would it be fair to say that if you did not have the backing of Rodale and St. Luke's that this time would look very different for you and perhaps a bit more challenging? Yeah, so I, the farm is very fortunate that we have somewhat of a guaranteed customer. We're making we're, we have to adapt to what's happening to our customer right now during COVID, but you know, we're not selling to restaurants in New York City. So we're having to adapt, but not completely change our operation, which is something that some farmers have had to do. I have a friend who farms in the Lehigh Valley, and their entire operation is based on shipping fresh produce to New York City chefs. So they've had to very, very quickly adapt their entire operation, but they're small enough that they're able to versus large farms who supply restaurants. You know, it's it's a lot harder to move 50,000 pounds of produce to different locations versus, you know, 500 pounds of produce. So mm. um, it definitely, it definitely like scale has a lot to do with having to adapt and change as well. Yeah. I think that that segues nicely into something we wanted to ask you about, which is that recently we've seen a lot of images and coverage of like piles of summer squash wasting away in fields in Florida city or heaps of potatoes amassing in rural Idaho. At the same time, we're seeing spikes in food insecurity across the country. Do you think this paradox is just a result of inadequate distribution channels or is it a little bit more complex than that? I think, I think our food system is very, very complex, which is the issue. You know, I, I have seen images, those images as well, of zucchini just rotting and and people just mowing down fields because there's no one to pick it because they can't pay someone to pick it if they aren't going to be able to sell it. You know, I think because we're so complex and it's not just the f 
the farmer to the consumer. It's the farmer to a distributor, to another distributor, possibly to a restaurant, to the consumer. There's a lot of people that are involved when you come to that kind of scale where you're producing mountains of produce. You know, we produce about 50,000 pounds of produce a year at the St. Luke's farm, which is a lot, but some of the farms that are huge that have like tons of pickers that come through. I mean, we're, we're a sale, like we're a week of sales for some of those farms. So I think that it's a shame that food's going to waste, but I think it's an, hopefully it's a wake up call. Growing and producing food is very complicated and distributing food is also very complicated. So easy solutions are difficult to come by, you know, like having a farmer that is producing so much food for restaurants and they have contracts and agreements, those don't transfer necessarily to grocery stores. And if, if you're very specialized as a farmer, that can be great. You know, you have a niche, you have something that works for you and you just own it. That's great until you have to adapt and then you're not able to adapt. So, I mean, a lot of farmers operations are very complex and they make decisions for a reason and I don't, I don't think a lot of people could really predict a pandemic and its effect it would have on our food system. And unfortunately, like the, the big, big producers have a hard time adapting because there's, there's so many people involved to get it to that final consumer. So you might be able to adapt, but is your distributor going to adapt? Is someone else down the line going to adapt as well? So would you say that? The circumstances of size and complexity make for a increasingly convincing argument for like a more regional, both growing system and also distribution system. Like, is that the path that you see us moving towards? Like, is it going to be a retreat towards uh, local food systems, like perhaps how it once was? Or is it just, you know, some idealistic thing of the past at this point? So I'm in a somewhat of a bubble, I think, because I'm a farmer and my friends are farmers and my friends are gardeners. So seasonality is something that I don't think twice about because I just eat seasonally. But thinking about an entire country shifting towards a seasonal diet is something that I can't wrap my head around. I think that there would have to be like kind of like meeting halfway, you know, supporting those those local farmers and eating more regional, it has to come from the consumer, but also has to come from the farmer. You know, some, I listen to a lot of podcasts about farming and I talk to a lot of different farmers and some farmers were able to move their sales online within a week. And so those farms are the ones that are, are going to survive and do much better because they're adapting and they're making it work very, very quickly. But it depends also on the consumer being willing to like think about the plants that they want to put in their garden and being flexible about what food they want to eat and being okay of, you know, putting aside your cookbook and cooking whatever the farmer is producing down the road. Um, there's a lot, there's a huge shift that needs to happen in order for that to be successful from both the farmer and the consumer. And not necessarily, not everyone likes change as we can see by you know, the pandemic, some people are okay with making changes and some people aren't okay with making changes. So it's probably going to be somewhat of like a patchwork of seeing what works and 
and what both the consumer and the producer can do. Now that now that you sort of discussed a lot of the various complexities and how different different businesses or different farms are in very different positions to adapt to this, taking borrowing from that earlier question about where the public's attention has been focused regarding the waste of this food, is there anything that any specifics that you'd wish the public was more aware of or focusing on more or actions they could be taking to help farmers during this time? I think realizing how important and intelligent farmers are and how many sacrifices farmers make in order to put food on the table, I think is something that would be really great and something I've been advocating for since I started farming. Um, You know, there's farmers have to be talented and smart uh, regarding so many aspects of their operation. They have to be able to fix tractors. They have to be able to market. They have to um, do the accounting, hiring people, their HR departments. Um, they have to figure out the weather. You know, there's, there's just so many things that a farmer has to do to be successful. Um, and I just don't think people necessarily understand that. And one, one thing, so, um, Lakeview Organics, um, they produce a lot of great organic cover crop seed. They recently posted a poem that they wrote on Facebook that really struck me of, you know, medical workers are making so many sacrifices right now. Um, I have friends who are nurses. My mom is a nurse. I know that medical personnel are going through so much right now, but farmers go through that too every single season. Um, and I think that it would be nice if, if folks realize that, you know, farmers sacrifice a lot in order to produce food. Um, so thinking about like, yes, our food system is really complex, but, um, there's a farmer, it starts with a farmer. And then we need to think about supporting the farmers a little bit more and, and thinking about how, you know, a 12 hour shift is a normal day for a farmer and they do it all season and they, they face a lot of challenges. Um, and you know, they, they sacrifice their body, their family, everything to produce food. So thinking about farmers out there doing it every day, every year to produce food. So. Thanks for saying that and pointing that out. Um, it seems like a very important thing that often goes, um, unsaid or missed in keeping with that. Uh, I wanted to ask how you feel that this pandemic has been impacting the community building elements of local eating and local like small scale food production. Um, I've seen a lot of, uh, some articles about concerns that, the disease and the pandemic in this specific situation has broke and made it harder for people to stay in touch and get involved. And a lot of people are feeling are sort of returning to past comfort foods, like things they can reheat and maybe not necessarily go to the farmer's market as much as they had been before. How do you feel that this pandemic has maybe gotten in the way of building community and the sort of connection with like farmers and local producers that allows for different type of eating? Uh, do you think it's really done a number on it or whatever? It definitely has affected small scale farming. You know, farmers markets are either not happening or there's a lot of restrictions involved as well. But I do, I do have a hope that people are also starting to grow their own food and finding community in their backyards, um, which is something I've been noticing and seeing. So, you know, 
there's a lot of community around growing food and sharing food and cooking food. So I think that a lot of that, unfortunately, has been lost during the pandemic, you know, potlucks, cooking, laughing, all that stuff that, you know, the, the, the main reason why I farm is so I can share my knowledge and share the fruits of my labor. But, you know, I'm happy to do that sacrifice to make sure that my community is safe. And I, I do hope that, you know, people maybe are thinking about transitioning into, oh, I can grow some of my own food as well if I'm not going to the farmer's market. Um, which, of course, it's a shame that farmers aren't getting that support in sales from the farmer's markets. But, you know, you can't you have a hard time buying seeds. Um, and some I've been listening to different podcasts and reading different articles about people overwhelmed with the amount of produce that they're growing in their backyards because they kind of stocked up on seed and have been growing a lot. So I think that, you know, there's going to be shifts and there's going to be changes, but people will find a sense of, of community eventually and figure out what works. Thankfully, you know, being outside um, and being the sun and the, and the wind and the, the warmth is a lot better um, than being stuck inside. So, you know, the fact that people are going outside and taking care of their lawns and putting in gardens and things like that, you know, I hope that that's also a sense of community. It doesn't help the ag industry, but it does help people appreciate food, which I think would down the line help farmers. You know, if you have to grow your cucumbers, you're really going to appreciate the farmer that grows it for you because you realize that you have to water it and weed it and do all this work for it. So I think that stuff will definitely change, but I mean, humans, like we love each other. We love being around each other. So we'll find a way and we'll figure it out. And hopefully that comes from people not only sharing food to eat it, but also to grow it and, and be outside. Like I've seen people walking around my neighborhood that I've never seen before. And I've, I see people out and about and taking care of their, their yard. So I think something positive will come from it, but it's kind of hard to wrap my head around what that positive community will look like during, during COVID. So, so I understand that not too long ago, you began a farming operation of your own by the name of Dell Resistance Farm. Uh, <laughs> I did. Do you find that recent events have moved you to rethink resilience when it comes to small scale farming? And if so, have you begun to act on any of these new considerations in your new venture? Or is it just like you're carrying on essentially how you always have been, obviously honing your craft more and more? But I'm curious to know if there's like things that this crisis has made explicitly clear that you're now rethinking moving forward? So I, so Dull Resistance Farm came about from, I've never had my own farm or garden. I've never gardened before either. So, you know, I, I make a lot of sacrifices for different farms who, you know, I choose to support and, you know, I, I wouldn't, put in this energy and time if it wasn't something that I believed in, but always in the back of my head, I'm just like, Oh, but this isn't yours. It'd be nice to do something that was yours. So thank, so thankfully I was, um, my boyfriend Riley and I were offered five acres to do what, whatever we wanted with. Um, so we're just decided to, to try it out. You know, if we ever want to have our own farm, it's best to test run our personalities working on a farm operation together 
on a quarter acre with very little financial risk than a different operation with a lot of financial risk. So we decided just to, just to go for it. And our biggest motivation to start out was just to learn and try different things and break even. And then during the pandemic, we really thought about what we wanted to do and what we wanted to grow. And we just want to make sure that ourselves and our family and our friends are really well fed. Um, so that's now our goal. So we've decided to um, not pay as much attention to selling to different markets just because there's people who are paying off their their mortgage on their sales. So there's no really sense in competing with other people. If we can sell to other producers to support their operations, we're happy to do that. But for now, we're just growing to to make sure that we're feeding ourselves and and feeding our families and friends and and bartering. We really like to barter. So thinking about, you know, like I have a skill, you have a skill. Let's figure out how to make sure that we're both successful. So I think that, you know, our outlook on what we wanted to get out of this farm is not financial at all. It's just let's make sure that we're our community is fed because we have the luxury of being able to do that. You know, Riley's friends not charging us for the land. You know, we're just buying some supplies and trying to make it work. So I think that so somewhat I think resiliency is seeing how much you can do with so little. So that's kind of our our goal with that. You know, we're not it's not fancy. Um, it's very small, but seeing what we can get out of it and thinking about, you know, what it, what does it mean to grow food without irrigation and try different techniques because, you know, it's it's our it's our way to experiment, you know, so I'm not going to be as adventurous with a farm operation that represents both the St. Luke's Hospital Network and the Rodale Institute. You know, there's certain expectations that I produce what I say I'm going to produce. But if it's just Riley and I on a quarter acre trying to feed ourselves and our families, then, you know, it's, it's, it's worth the risk to, to come up with something new and, and see what's possible. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, that sounds like the most noble goal in, in a time like this. Uh, I think it was funny. I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe farming as fancy. So, I mean, I'm sure what yeah. you're doing right there is truly a, an incredible feat for the circumstances that we're currently going through. Just one, one closing question. When confronted by the rather daunting uh, but pressing question that many farmers, particularly in your niche, uh, that they're being asked, uh, it's what will the future uh, look like for smaller scale farmers? What comes to mind for you when you hear that? Ability to be online, I think, is what a lot of farmers are going to have to do and have to adapt to. And I think that's something that even the St. Luke's Rodale Institute Organic Farm is going to have to to do down the line. It's really hard to to think about how things are going to look in the future. I have a habit of, of expecting the worst of everything. You know, we're going to lose this crop or this is going to be awful or whatever. But I think because the pandemic has added kind of an overwhelming obstacle that I just can't wrap my head around that it's helping me not sweat the small stuff 
and just change and put one foot in front of the other. So I think that's like what a lot of farmers are going to have to do is kind of drop your expectations and, and shed them. So um, I really like Charlie Brown and I really like different quotes of Charlie Brown. And one of my favorite quotes is I'll dread one day at a time. And I think that's kind of my motto for this season is, you know, there's a lot going on. A lot of people are handling the pandemic in different ways. And it's, it's not personal. Um, You can't get upset. It's just everyone's functioning the best that they can. So how can you function that's going to serve those people and how they're functioning? What's going to make people feel safe? What's going to make people feel happy? And kind of letting go that expectation that things are going to be normal again. You know, I think that's, you know, seeing different farmers and, and how some farmers, their business is getting more successful and some farmers, their business is struggling. And it's, it's the ability to change and adapt and assess, get to know your customers and get to know your land and get to know the, the environment that you're in now. So yeah, like technology and adaptation is kind of the future. And unfortunately I'm not the best at technology, so I don't know how that's going to work for me personally, but I can learn. So I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why I have young interns who are much savvier with technology than myself. (laughs) Hey, we find a way. Yeah. So that's all for me, Lucas, any closing (laughs) thoughts or remarks? No, that's everything. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's our guest, Lynn Trisna, farm manager at the St. Luke's Urdale Organic Farm in Easton, Pennsylvania. That's all for this week. But before you go, be sure to check out the show notes for a list of resources that provide just a few ways in which we can show up, learn, educate, and engage in these times alive with the currents of change. Until next time, be well.